Hello everybody and welcome back to High School Not So Much a Musical. Today I'm joined with Andrew Davis who is an investor in both comic books and crypto oh not cryptocurrency sorry comic books Funko Pops and just a lot of different stuff. So Andrew could you please just introduce yourself? Hey, my name is Andrew Davis and uh, obviously I invest in comic books. I'm an alternative investor. I'm a traditional investor. And uh, yeah, you know, I just like talking about how to make money and uh, money's fun. Perfect. So could you just talk about like your career so far, some of your entrepreneurial ventures, what you do and how you like develop your passion for personal finance and sort of getting into this, getting into the field of invest in alternative investments? Because when high schoolers think of investing, they think of like stocks and bonds and that kind of stuff. But what really got you to getting into alternative investing? So the story is that I grew up and I'm a pop culture guy. So I was watching a lot of anime. I was, you know, watching, you know, all the cartoon movies and all the comic movies. And then I started reading graphic novels when I was like 11, 12. And then what started happening when I got 16, 17, 18 is I started collecting comic books. Then fast forward, I'm in college and I wanted to buy new comic books. I needed some money for beer. And I said, oh, snap, I don't have any money that I then went into my comic book collection and started Googling and eBaying certain books. And I'm like, oh, snap, this book is worth 120 bucks. I sold it. I had money for next month's comics. I had some beer money. I had some extra change money to go spend on some other stuff. And then fast forward three, four, five times of that, you start spotting a trend. And that's how you say, wait a second, what's in my collection and what's going on here? And you reverse engineer it. And so that's how I got into alternative investing is that I was a collector and then randomly my collection was worth money and then I spotted a trend and then I started buying comics specifically to hit a trend. And that's what I did and that's kind of what happened with me in how I got into this. But prior to all that, or around the same time I should say, obviously I was investing in the stock market and I was investing in bonds and a variety of other stuff. And then what I figured out really quickly is that a lot of the same attributes that are in alternative investing carry over to traditional investing and vice versa. And what I mean by this is a good stock comic is kind of like a blue chip stock where certain books always have value and they go up and down, but they're always increasing in value. And then that's kind of how I started and got into all this. And then they both play off each other in my world. And I made a lot of money doing this. And I think that's something that people in high school, a lot of us are taught that, oh, you can only make money by investing in the stock market. You have to follow a traditional path of, you know, put money into a company or the S&P 500. And well, that's good. And for most people that works, actually, if you put money into the S&P 500 and you put $100 in every single month from the ages of 25 to your 65, you'll be worth $1.1 to $1.3 million. But I'm not interested in doing that where I want to generate capital, where I want to put like $900 every single month into the S&P 500 so that I'm not worth $1.1 million, but I'm worth more like $20 million. And that's why I'm interested in alternative investing because it's a faster burn cash rate and there's a greater reward that then I can move down into a traditional investment such as an S&P fund that'll make me more money. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into all this. And then once you start looking at the numbers and crunch numbers, you're like, oh snap, I could be worth $20 million 
in a very, very short period of time in reality. So, yeah, I totally get that because, like, you said you're really into like pop culture and stuff like that. So, you probably know about like streetwear and hype beast and all that kind of stuff because, like, it's on, like, you, when I think about it, the stock market really. It's just another form of investment, right? Like you were mentioning. But the thing is, the price of a stock is not dependent on you. It's dependent on millions of other people around the world who are gauging like the price of this stock, whether they like it or not, whether the company's going to do well or not. But then if you're taking like a comic book, there's only, there's a finite number of them that are in the world. So if you're like one of 20 people who has that, the value is going to be there no matter what. It's all dependent on how you make broker the trade or broker the deal so i think that this leads good into my next question which is could you talk about like the lack of personal finance and investing knowledge in high school and secondary education because for in our school personally the one that me and the other co-hosts go to we have the opportunity to take um economics or econometrics or personal finance but that's only in 12th grade and that's also like only a two trimester course which is really difficult to like teach everything in but there's a couple of people in my school who I know they're really really into investing and they do nfts all that kind of stuff and they made a lot of money just in high school itself so could you talk about like the lack of personal finance and what you think are some of the negative impacts of it so I think that in my high school, and I'm obviously older, I'm 29, so it's been a while since I've been in high school, but I took macroeconomics. Um, and so the, the reason why I took macro is that you didn't have to take senior economics, and senior economics is a joke uh, of a class. And I think that a lot of people just don't understand how money works, and a lot of people are lazy. So I think that's in of the problem itself in a lot of ways is that people don't want to spend time to say, hey, how does it actually work to invest and to put time in? Because let's be realistic. Life is complicated. People are busy and people are trying to run their own lives and they don't want to learn another skill. And so I think that's part of the problem. But I think also this stuff is really, really complicated. And it's also very dangerous because when you're teaching economics, and if I'm to teach stock trading, for instance, I legally cannot teach stock trading to you or anybody else. So I can't say go buy stock A, B, C, and D because I'm not certified to teach that. And I think that's also part of the problem is that what starts happening is that if you teach somebody how to invest and there, there gets to a point where you're at the stage where it's just like, you know, can I teach the skills, but what happens? Am I responsible if they go take those skills and then make a bad trade? And so I think that's a lot of the problem with why we don't teach economics in high school and why we don't do that because nobody wants to be held liable or responsible for a problem. And then what winds up happening is that sometimes, and this is, this is where this gets tricky in the United States at the very least, I'm not too sure about the rest of the world, but now a lot of people what happens that the reason how they make most money in the United States is that they have a 401k or they have a pension. So they're bad at investing. They just throw X amount of money into a pension or a 401k or a company match. And that's how people generate the most money for their retirement. It is the single greatest wealth building tool in the United States for retirement, apparently. But those are going away. And so if it's being done for you, why would you take the time to learn about it if your company's already doing it? But with that slowly being phased out, a lot of people have no idea because they don't want to, they don't learn this in high school and they don't have any mentors to teach them this. 
And that's why we have this problem with lack of financial education and people are financially illiterate. There, there's a great question and a great study that came out. And I asked you the question. I'm curious if you know the answer. So you have $100 in a bank account and you're getting a 2% interest rate per year. How much money will you have at the end of year two? Will you have $100, will you have $96, or will you have $104.40? Um, I'm going to go with 96 so, so the reason why I asked this question, if you're getting a 2% interest rate, you're going to have $104.44 because you're gaining 2% on your money. The, the, the entire question, and this is where financial literacy is a huge problem, 67% of Americans get that question wrong. It, it, we, we, if we had to choose between teaching reading and financial education, we would pick financial education every single time. Because this, the fact that it's terrifying that 67% of Americans get that question wrong when you're getting a 2% interest rate and you don't understand that that's, the bank is paying you 2% and most people think what you answered, which was $96. And that's why we're messed up in the world because you and 67% of people, you know, pick that answer. And it's not an attacking anybody, but that's a huge problem. I mean, and nobody seems to want to fix this problem. But for me, I mean, and I'm going to sound like a greedy capitalist, I make money because people don't want to learn. And this is all teachable, which is crazy. So that's kind of where I'm at as an individual is that I understand the whole problem is that we just don't teach things. And when we teach senior economics or economics in 12th grade, most kids don't want to be in that class because how, how can I explain to an 18 year old about money? Right. Like when I'm 18 years old, I could tell you I'm thinking about girls. I'm thinking about cars. I'm thinking about, oh, man, that girl looks kind of hella cute. Right. And I'm not thinking about, well, if I invest one hundred dollars every single month starting now to the S&P 500, I'll be worth four million dollars. I'll be 65. I'll be set for life. And then I'll leave two point five million dollars in reality to my children because they're going to live on fixed income. And then my kids and my grandkids and their grandkids are just going to build massive wealth. And over six generations, it's going to my family's generational wealth is going to be worth fifty million dollars. Nobody thinks about that when they're eighteen. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that needs to be like ingrained into students' minds as well, that they kind of need to support themselves for such a long period of time. And like schooling is a schooling is like one part of it, but just having those real world skills, because this takes me back to like one of the conversations that we had, like the very first episode of this podcast with um, somebody who had to do with standardized testing like this, the SAT and the ACT and like the AP program. It's great that students are learning these kind of skills, but there's no AP finance. There's no there's not there's nothing that tests on these finance skills that you can actually use in the real world. Because there's some people who don't even know how to calculate the amount of tip that they need to give at a restaurant. These are just kind of like the bare minimum things that people need to know, kind of like get by in the world, right? So, so, so even, that, even, yeah, even to talk about that, I mean, yeah. one of the things, and I'm very open about this, I was in special ed at classes. So, so I was in, you know, English that was slightly slower, that sort of had an A, collaborative English, as it was called. I was in, you know definitely slower math where we took so i from new york state we had regents 
So I was in a class that divided the math region into two years while most of my compatriots or my fellow students took it in one year. And then they went on to advanced math and furthermore. So I was in, you know, very, very slow math for, for lack of a better word, I'm trying to be as politically correct. I don't know how to say this any other way. So bear with me, everybody. But essentially it was double the time to take one test over two years versus taking in one year. Meanwhile, though, that is because I'm bad at math. But I guarantee you that what people think is that, and this is a misconception, that economics has nothing to do with math. There is no math. Obviously, you need to be able to calculate a stock goes up, it goes down. You need to do some mathematical equations. But when I'm evaluating a stock, it has nothing to do with math. I'm looking at what is the company doing? What's the job of the company? What is the company outlaying in product development? You know, we look at a company like Apple, you know, what is the new iPhone going to do and how is that going to affect their stock? You know, Apple's a content producer. How much more content are they going to produce? What deals did they just sign? How many, you know, chips and, you know, you know, other things they got? Is there a shipment, uh, shipment delay with chips for the phone? Is there a silver uh, shortage? That's all what calculates. But there's a misconception that you need to be good at math. And I think that's a big problem because I was in slow math, yet I'm an amazing investor. I was in, you know, all these collaborative classes like collaborative earth science and collaborative biology and collaborative chemistry, yet that doesn't reflect the success I had as somebody who buys and sells comics. And I've done very well in the stock market. I mean, I have stocks that are up 7,000% at this point. So I think it's a big misconception that because I think people say, oh man, you're an ABC calculus, you must be a good investor. And that has nothing to do with it. And I think that's also a problem where we have in the world where we, we associate investing with mathematics and mathematics and investing are completely separate. You're probably more likely to be a better investor if you're a social studies major than, than a mathematic major. Yeah, I like I completely agree with everything that you just said, because one of the things that our school offers personally is that they they basically we are required to take what they call a math course, a science and a history every single year of high school. And they put they put personal finance as a math course. And one thing that you said was economics has nothing to do with math. And that's very true because it's so theoretical. The math is just there to like maybe calculate simple division and multiplication there's nothing that you're using calculus for economics as a whole because i remember when i took economics in ninth grade the only thing that i was maybe using it was maybe to calculate like the unemployment rate or something like that where it's just a very very small calculation so i think that that hits like on a very interesting point because you're saying that you are still in a lower level you're in a lower level type of schooling but you're still like a very good investor because it's all about learning about how the market moves and why the market moves and what types ter- types of decisions certain companies are making and then this also leads into this um investment competition that i was doing where we had to we basically got like a case study of a person who had like a certain number of goals that they wanted to meet and we had to pick from a stock list of maybe 5,000 stocks of what would best fit for them over a period of time and the only thing that we looked at that was really like numbers crunching was 
just the numbers that the company was putting out for every quarter. The rest of the stuff was looking at where is this company's projection in the next five years? What kind of projects are they working on? What kind of partnerships are they making? So for the high schoolers out there who have no experience and they're listening to this podcast right now, could you give a basic, very, very basic rundown of what investing is? how to get started as a high schooler and like the importance of saving up as much as possible. You touched on it a little bit, but if you could just emphasize it a little bit more, that'd be great. So investing, um, I'm going to break it into two parts. Um, saving and investing are different. So saving is when you have a job and I'm, I'm going to use this as, as a easiest example that I can utilize. Um, if you have a job and you're making, let's say every week, $400, um, and you take 200 of that out and you just put it into a bank account where you're getting like 0.001% and then you don't touch it, that's saving. That is the definition of saving because you're saying, hey, I'm taking this money off the table and I'm putting it into this rainy day jar. That's called a bank. That's saving. Investing is that then you say, I'm taking the $200 and I am putting it into something that can go up. It could go down. It could go to zero. But I am hoping that it is more aggressive than a savings account. And you're saying, I'm putting it into something that can potentially grow, that can produce more capital. So when, when you're investing, there's a variety of things that you can invest in. So obviously stocks, bonds, you can invest in. You could invest in US treasury bonds. You could put it into a money market account, which is a bit more of an investing position. You could put it into an ETF, which is an electronically traded fund, but that's still in the stock game. You could go and put it into real estate because, again, you can lose everything on an investment. When you put money into a savings account, and this is the difference, you will not lose your money in a savings account because that is not being invested. And that is being essentially insured that if I put $10,000 into my savings account at a bank, if I go there in six months, it's going to be 10000 and whatever interest rate I have, because that money has not been invested. But if I put $10,000 into a stock, it could go to 8000 it could go to 40000 and it can go anywhere in between. And that's the difference between saving and investing. Now, if you're in high school, you the first thing you have to do is say, do I have money? to invest so that that's rule one so if you're working then you can then you say okay how much money am i making what are my taxes and you got to figure out that number then you got to say okay what is my risk tolerance if you're very risk invest or, or versed you know you might just say look i just want to put my money in a savings account or if you're working and you're saying, hey, I need to go to college, I'm going to need this money to help pay my college, or I'm in 11th grade and I need to make sure that I have money in three years, you might not want to invest, you know, because you need that money for something else. And so that's what you have to figure out first and foremost is that where, how much money am I making? What is that money used for? If you are in a situation, and I'll give a great example of somebody who should not invest, Let's say that your parents don't make a lot of money or that somebody's unemployed in your house or there's a problem in your house and you know, you're helping to contribute to pay the mortgage. You should not invest because your money should go to help pay the mortgage. But then once if you're in a situation where you can invest and that 
you know, you then say, okay, how much do I want to invest? How much am I comfortable with losing? Because these are all the questions that need to be asked. So if you say, look, I've worked my butt off for this $350, I'm okay with losing $100. That's all you should invest. Because if you lose $100, you're like, it's no biggie. But if you say, if I lose $200, that's a big problem, then you should not invest $200. You have to determine how much you're willing to lose that you're going to be okay with if it went to zero. Then once all of those questions have been asked, then believe me, there's 30 other questions that come out of those questions. And once you start asking, you start having answers, the other 30 questions become very evident. Then you have to say, okay, what do I want to invest in? Do I want to invest in a stock? Do I want to invest in a index fund? Do I want to invest in an ETF? And at that point, you then need to go and say, let me Google all of these terms. And then you have to say, what type of investor do I want to be? And you could be an index fund. Just, just the basic definition is a group of funds, put to, a group of stocks put together. And it's very low risk because the S&P 500 is an index fund where it's the top 500 stocks in the U.S. All bundled. So when you buy a share of the S&P, you're buying a share of all 500 of those stocks. That's very different than if you're buying a stock of Coca-Cola where the risk is different. And so you need to say, what type of investor am I? And you need to ask, do I want more risk? Do I want a bigger payoff? Do I know that company X is a great company? Or do I just want to be more saying, hey, look, I don't know what the hell I'm doing per se. I just know I need to be in the S&P. And for the last 70 years, people have done really well in that. So let me just buy that because that's the type of investor I want to be. And I'm going to say this, there's nothing wrong with playing single stocks. There's nothing wrong with being an index investor. Both sides have made a lot of money. But then you also can say, do I want to go and take a different route? And do I want to invest in crypto? Because I understand crypto or I think crypto is the future and I've done my homework on crypto. Or do I want to invest in other items like comic books or baseball cards because I know that market and I understand it or I'm willing to learn that trade. And therefore, that's what I want to invest in because I think I can get a better rate of return. One of the things that people also need to understand is that the way I evaluate things and I know I'm throwing a lot of information at everybody. I know. So, so, so there's a reason why. Because it, it sounds a lot more confusing than it is. And if you play this back, once you go into it and you're like two months into figuring out your investment journey, a lot of this stuff is going to make sense, I promise. Um, if all of a sudden, you know, you want to then go into, you know, the way I, I guess, measure up my investments is that the S&P is how I measure up all my investments, where if I do an alternative investment, or I do a stock investment or I do a crypto investment, I look at it at a three-year basis of saying, did it beat the S&P or is it going to beat the S&P? The S&P is anywhere in the last, I think, 10 years, the S&P has done like 13% in the last 10 years. But on average, it does about 7 to 9%, you know, and that's what the S&P does. So that's the growth rate on the S&P, essentially. So I want my all my investments to beat the S&P or at least match the S&P over a three or five year period, depending on what I'm investing in. 
or you could even go further out into a 10-year period if you're a long-term investor which i've been investing for about 10 years now so i can actually measure it that way so that's how i evaluate all this i know it's a lot of stuff being thrown yeah like i definitely i like personally i understand exactly what you're saying but like sizing up next to the s p 500 trying to beat it because that's like a good measure of where the economy is going and stuff like that so what i want to do is i want to get into a part two of this conversation so i'm going to end off our conversation here but for listeners who are listening right now in part two of our conversation i really want to talk more about the your own um podcast that you run i want to talk more about like some of the greatest investments that you've had with like Funko Pops and comic books and stuff like that. So thank you so much, Andrew, for your time. And I look forward to our second conversation. And thank you so much for our listeners. That's our show for today. Now roll the credits. High School Not So Much a Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal, Nitin Jaladanki, and Rishi Sinha. Narration by Samhit Padala. Music from Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.